Well, good morning. Welcome. If you don't know me, I'm Mark. I'm married to, to Debbie. And, and currently, I'm working alongside Paul and the team of elders who oversee New Life Community Church. So if you're visiting this morning or listening to a recording, then we extend a really warm welcome to you. And you join us across our various locations as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles in a few moments. But before we do that, I just want to kind of ask a question to kind of get us thinking a little bit about where we're going to go this morning. And if you're here this morning or you're listening to this and you currently wouldn't count yourself a Christian, then I'm just going to ask you to forgive me for a moment because the question that I'm going to throw out is mainly for those who would call themselves a believer in Jesus Christ. And the question that I want to throw out right from the outset is this. At which point in your life have you found that you most learned to trust in God? Or, to frame it slightly differently, during which seasons of life has your faith been most deepened? Now, whilst that's mulling around in your minds, we've been spending a couple of weeks in, in chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel. And Mark has devoted nearly an entire chapter to recording how Jesus taught this huge crowd, or your translation might say something like multitude. He's been teaching this crowd from a boat on the Lake of Galilee. And we spent a few weeks looking at this teaching of Jesus, these parables of the sower, of a lamp on a stand, the parable of the growing seed, and the parable of the mustard seed. And as we pick up the story in verse 35 of chapter 4, even though Jesus is no longer teaching the crowds, I want to suggest to you that I don't believe he's done teaching the disciples. They are about to get a really practical lesson. And if you want to get a title for this message, can I suggest this one? When the storm hits. So we're in chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel. Let's read together from verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, Don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that this is life and food for us. Lord, so help me to speak and so help us to hear and listen and understand and apply what you want to say to your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's not a a very long passage this morning. So I, I kind of feel led to do something that I haven't done for a while And that's to kind of go through it a verse or two at a time 
And then, once you've done that, draw things together in terms of application. That day, when evening came. So can you see that's, that's kind of a continuation? Jesus has closed his public teaching for the day, but Mark apparently feels compelled to carry on recording these events as they play out. He records little eyewitness details, such as the fact that there were other boats as well as the one that Jesus and his disciples are on, and the fact that Jesus was asleep on a cushion, and that the fact that this was at the back of the boat in the stern. These little details, they kind of don't really add anything to the story. They're, they're largely irrelevant to the story, except for the fact that they kind of give us a clue as to the fact that they were told to Mark by someone who was actually there, most likely Peter. So carrying on in verse 35, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And I'm reminded of what Jesus said in chapter 1 and verse 35, that he needed to go to other villages so that he could preach to them also. And that's why he'd come. Can you see, it's, it's about the continued extension or the continued reach of the mission of Jesus. However, the extension of this mission takes Jesus and his disciples into a storm. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. This is a proper storm. The wind gusted so much that it caused the waves to break over the sides of the boat. It's taking on water, and there's a real danger that it might get swamped, and that would eventually cause the boat to sink. We have to remember that amongst the disciples in this boat, there are a number of experienced sailors and fishermen. They've got a lot of experience being out on the water, and yet they're pretty scared. That tells us it's a pretty severe storm. They are terrified. Jesus, not so much. In fact, even though this storm is raging around him, he's not even awake. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, put like that, that could sound a bit petulant. The kind of thing that a sulky child might say, Don't you care? In the Greek language, it sounds a little bit more like this. Doesn't it matter to you that we're perishing? And that's kind of an interesting question. And perhaps some of you are already going there in your heads. But I'm just going to park that for a moment, and we'll come back to that later. So they wake Jesus up. How does he respond to their cries of terror? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be still, quiet. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. The language that Jesus actually uses is really interesting because what he actually says is be muzzled. Like you'd put a muzzle on a dog, for example. Be muzzled. And the effect of this on the disciples is interesting. They seem to be more afraid of Jesus than of the storm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
And they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So that in a nutshell, that's our passage today. And I guess I see two principles that I want to draw out. So if, you, if you're one of those people who likes a nice, tidy three-point sermon, I'm sorry, you're going to be a little bit disappointed. I've really only got two points. And they are, there are probably other things that you could draw out, I suppose. God's word is living and active after all, as the writer of the Hebrews reminds us. And with that in mind, Dale is also speaking on this passage in Fordingbridge this morning. So as always, I would encourage you to give that a listen as well, once it's online. So before we get into it, I'm, I'm going to start by stating the obvious. And that's as, as we journey through life, inevitably we're going to encounter some storms. And, and please hear me really clearly there. Because I appreciate that that could not only sound really obvious, but that could sound really patronizing. And I certainly don't mean it that way, because I know. I know that some of you have lived these principles out in ways that I can hardly even imagine. And I would have so much to learn from you guys regarding this. Even in the story that Jackie shared with us earlier, you've had to live that, these principles out this week. But the fact remains that although Jesus does promise that following him will be worthwhile, he never promises it's going to be easy. Here are his own words recorded in John's Gospel. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Take heart, for I've overcome the world. That's John 16, verse 33. So we're more than likely going to run into a few storms in our life's journeys and in our Christian walks. But here are the two principles that I see in our passage. Firstly, that it's when the storm hits that we learn some of our most valuable lessons. And secondly, when the storm hits, you're going to be glad to have Jesus in the boat with you. You see, these disciples, they'd heard the teaching along with the multitudes on the shore of Galilee. They'd heard Jesus telling the parable of the sower. They had heard about the seed falling on the rocky soil and failing to, de to develop because it had no root. Now that trouble had come along in their way in the form of this storm, were they going to be like this seed and fall away? They'd heard about the seed that fell amongst the thorns that represented, amongst other things, the worries of this life. Now, humanly speaking, this storm gave them plenty to worry about. Was the word that Jesus sown into their hearts about to get choked out? You see, it looks to me as though they were literally having to live out the lessons that they'd heard earlier in the day. They're having to live them out right now. And the answer to their rhetorical question, who is this? That's the reason that we want Jesus in our boat when we find ourselves in the storm. You see, he rebukes the wind 
and the sea, just like he rebuked the demons in chapters 1 and 3. It's the same word in Greek. He muzzled the wind with a rebuke. As suddenly as the storm arose, it subsided at this command from Jesus. No wonder the disciples are asking, who is this? Because this is the kind of power with which God had rescued Israel from the hands of the Egyptians when he parted the Red Sea. This is the God who spoke to Job out of the storm saying, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. And when I said, thus far you may come and no further. This, this is where your proud waves halt. This kind of sovereign power has been reserved for the God of Israel alone. And yet here we see Jesus exercising that kind of power and authority that belongs to God alone. He gives sovereign commands to the forces of nature and they obey. Jesus was always in control because he is Lord. And because he's sovereign over the storm, he's able to rescue the disciples from the storm. So then, not only is he Lord, but he's saviour too. So I, I don't know about you guys, but I have to battle against fear often. And in those moments, whilst I would not necessarily articulate it this way, there are two questions that lie behind my own unbelief. And the two questions that lie behind my unbelief are, God, can't you help? Or, the other one, and it's the same question that the disciples ask, is, don't you care? Now, I, I don't like admitting that to you, but it's true. So I need to hear the strong and yet gentle rebuke of Jesus in these verses. Because I know he has the power to help. Because he even commands the wind and the waves. And I know that he cares. Because Peter, who was in the boat... And was one of those who asked, doesn't it matter to you that we're perishing? Peter later was able to write this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. There you have it. His desire, his desire is that none should perish. Now, I've been really struck this week as I've been studying and preparing this message that when Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 28, that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When he writes that, he's not writing it in isolation, but he's writing it against this whole backdrop of redemptive history as, as recorded in the Bible. So, for example, Joseph, thrown down a well, then sold into slavery by his own brothers, apparently jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire, imprisoned, falsely accused, all the time God is preparing him to become the second most important chap in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. 
and be a type of vessel of salvation to his own people. So that later he was able to say to his brothers in Genesis 15 verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God had intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And I've also been reminded of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. Or as we say in our family, shake your bed, make your bed, and away to bed. (laughs) And I find the faith that they demonstrate really inspiring. When they refuse to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue, saying, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to save us from it. That he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But, but, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the gold of gold that you've set up. I want to have that kind of faith. Because these guys literally experienced what it was like to have Jesus in the boat, or rather, in their case, the furnace with them. You can read it in Daniel chapter 3. And even though these fl- this furnace was so hot that the flames killed the soldiers when they threw these guys in, they themselves were completely unharmed and not even a hair on their head was singed. Jesus rebuked his disciples for being afraid and for their lack of faith. So consider their faithlessness in comparison to Jesus' faithfulness. And one of the things that I I believe that God intends for us, as we go through storms, and as we find that Jesus is faithful, faithful to his promises, and when we find that he is mighty to save, one of the things that God intends for us in these things is that it produces the kind of faith that Daniel's three friends demonstrated. In the storms of life, and in the furnaces, that I believe, is where God does some of his best work. To quote someone who had been in the boat with Jesus, this is what Peter has to say. Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter seems to to suggest then that the trials we go through are a little bit like a refiner's fire, which, rather than consuming or destroying us, produces a genuineness of faith. So when Paul writes to the Romans, it's against this redemptive backdrop. And he himself knew what it was like to go through trials. Because when he wrote his second letter to the church in Corinth, he talks about how he'd been banged up several times, whipped, beaten, how he'd literally been stoned, how he'd been shipwrecked three times, and having faced more dangers than he could count, that he knew what it was like to go without food or water, or even enough clothing to keep him warm. In short... Paul had really been through the mill. And for Paul, even death wasn't the worst thing that he could imagine. 
For Paul, it seems the worst thing that he could imagine was to be separated from the love of God. So in chapter 8 of his letter to the Romans, he goes on to write this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered to, as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, can you believe that it's been almost three years since we first went into lockdown? I don't know how you guys dealt with all of that, but I spent a fair bit of time trying to make sense of what God's purpose might be in what felt like hitting a reset button right across the planet. Now, I'd always said that I wanted to write a song that was based around about Romans 8, and so during the first lockdown, I did that. And the song that I wrote was kind of based around this refrain. Our trials are not in vain. There is purpose in the pain. We are not slaves to fear. We are children of the king. Because I, I don't know about you guys, but there is a massive part of me that would rather really not go into the storm. There's a big part of me that kind of would just like to avoid it altogether, really. But if these disciples hadn't gone into the storm, they'd have missed out on that opportunity to see the awesome, sovereign power of God in Jesus over that storm. And they'd also have missed that opportunity for their own growth. Because they were afraid because they were still very young in the faith. Jesus, let's remember, had not yet been raised and the Spirit had not yet been poured out. But we, brothers and sisters, we have the privilege of, of living after the re resurrection, of after the ascension. The promised Holy Spirit has been poured out. And, and yet, we also are still growing, aren't we? In faith, growing towards maturity. That's, that's where we're heading. But we're not there yet. And the storms that we face are sometimes a bit like the refiner's fire by which our Father intends to produce in us purity and holiness. In short, he wants to make us look a little bit more like his son, Jesus, so that we can be Jesus to the people he's put us amongst. So let me remind you of the vision of the leadership of this church. It's to see many lives transformed by Jesus. It's to be a local church that pioneers and helps to establish new communities of believers. And it's to provide love and support for those who struggle with life's challenges. And I know from speaking to some of you in this last week, even from the prayers that have come out this morning, how desperate how desperate you guys are to see people in this community and the surrounding area having their lives transformed. 
and how desperate and how much you long to provide them with the love and the support that they need. It matters to you to use Mark's own language. It matters to you that there are many out there who are perishing. There are people in this community who are struggling with the challenges of life, they're facing storms, and they haven't got Jesus in the boat with them. I mean, aren't you glad that Jesus is in the boat with you? I know how difficult life can be when you know Jesus. I can't imagine now how difficult it would be if I wasn't his. So as we draw towards bringing this towards a close, maybe, perhaps that describes where you are. Maybe you're listening to a recording and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning. I, I don't know where we're all at. Can I encourage you to have a chat with one of us? Or if you're listening to a recording, get in touch with us through the website or through whatever medium it is that you're listening, listening to us. But for the rest of us, let's come back to the question I threw out at the beginning. When did you find your faith most deepened? As you look back over your journey with Jesus, when do you think that God was doing his best work in you? Because I wonder, as you look back, if you can kind of get what James was saying when he wrote this in chapter one of his letter. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. And then jumping ahead a few verses... Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person shall receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Brothers and sisters, there are storms to be faced. There are furnaces through which we are being refined. And there is a race to be run. And at the finishing line, Father waits with open arms, longing to say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't run on our own. As a family, let us cheer and spur one another on, encourage one another. We have each other. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us. And whatever storms we face, let's remember, Jesus is in the boat with us. Hallelujah. Amen.